Um, so this morning, I want you to sit back, relax, and prepare to be angry with me. Um, the name of my message today is How to Share Your Faith Without Being a Jerk. <laughs> for those of you here for the announcements, you get that. Um, <clears throat> just kidding. My name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor of the Garden, and the message today is called Kingdom Ajax. <clears throat> um, cleansing the temple. That's going to be our main focus. But before we talk about that, I have to set up for you the scene. You understand what's happening during Palm Sunday as Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the donkey and all the people fill the streets with the palms, the Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord, and, you know, they're worshiping him. And, and just to make sure you understand, in order to celebrate Passover correctly, you had to be inside the city of Jerusalem, inside the walls of Jerusalem. The problem was the city would get so crowded during Passover that the city swelled to maybe three or four times its normal size as far as people. People coming from all over the place. So what would happen is during Passover week, they would put out an edict that would extend officially the boundaries of Jerusalem beyond their normal walls out to cities called Bethany and Bethpage. And so Jesus and his people were staying in a home in Bethany, so they were officially, according to the edict, inside Jerusalem to be able to celebrate, celebrate Passover. And they were in the home of Mary, Martha, and the famous Lazarus. So what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to read to you the, today's passage, and then I'm going to bring up a slide that um, kind of gives the, the focus of what we're going to teach about today. So that's kind of the idea, kingdom Ajax, okay? Matthew 21, verses 1 through 14. Let me just read it for you. Just sit back. You can look it up if you want, or just listen to me read it with my dulcet tones and, and you know, nice, dramatic reading. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied to a colt, or tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone, anyone says anything to you, shall, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill that which was spoken of by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble, 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 and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Then the disciples did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them on, put, put on their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. A city that's four or five times its normal size. A whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. You see, they were all worked up because they felt political and military 
retribution on the Roman government was just around the corner. Even though the prophet says the king would come in in humility on a donkey that represents a beast of burden, an animal you use for, for work and hard labor, they all had their palm branches out and their cloaks. And even though he came in in humility, they were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David. Remember what the whole theme of the book of Matthew is? What you think Jesus was is not who he is. He's not coming to reestablish the throne of David. He's coming to establish the kingdom of God. Remember, we've gone through that for the last several months. And so they've got this idea. They're all worked up. The, the city is... It is like this. Yesterday, I was at Universal Studios with my family. My mom and my dad came down, and they brought my niece, and my son and my wife and I were there at Universal Studios on March 28th, which apparently, now that I know this, is the worst possible day to go <laughs> to Universal Studios. The average wait time for a ride was 90 minutes. The average number of people you bump into and say sorry in between one ride to another is about 47. <laughs> we were in the part where, you know, the, the Harry Potter stuff is, you know, and they got these little butter beer carts, 900 calories of sheer bliss in a 16-ounce glass. 35 people in line for butter beer. It was crowded. And I can imagine, as I was in, there, in that crowd, I could imagine... This is probably like what it was like in Jerusalem. People mulling around, doing their business, getting ready for Passover. And then Jesus comes in. And they know about him because he's fed thousands. He's healed thousands. He's made a big stir. He's, he's done a lot of things. And everybody knew him. And at this point, there are throngs, tens of thousands of people who follow him everywhere. And he comes into the city, and they're worshiping him. Because they think that just around the corner... He's going to put a hurting on Caesar. He's going to put a hurting on Herod. He's going to go and he's going to destroy the Roman garrison. He's going to rescue the city and return it to the rightful people of God. <laughs> but Jesus entered the temple. Not the Roman garrison, he entered the temple. And drove out and sold, uh, all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. You know, this wasn't the first time Jesus did this. First time he did it with whips. So this shouldn't have been a surprise. He'd already made it clear what his main concern was. So keeping in theme with Matthew, they are convinced upon his entry with everyone there, city four or five times its normal size, that this is the person, this is the time, this is the golden opportunity for the long-awaited Messiah to come, amass a big army of Jewish fighters to overwhelm the evil Roman Empire, expel them from Jerusalem, and reestablish the throne of Solomon. 
That's the reason for the Palm Sunday scene. In reality, guys, Palm Sunday is a massive, sick, twisted, false sense of worship based on a false teaching of what Messiah was supposed to be. Do you understand that? It was sick. In reality, it's like that eerie, happy music that plays right before the bloodiest scene in a horror movie. That's what it was. Because what did they expect him to do? Assemble an invincible army? Magically, supernaturally, transform all these farmers and all these other people that were there, assemble the throngs into this big military force and take out the Roman garrison of soldiers, enact a God-sanctioned coup against Herod, then liberate the city of David and the people of God from treacherous, ungodly government, and then restore their greatness of their nation back to the days of old, the way it should have been all along. See, what is going on militarily, politically, socially, economically, was not Jesus' concern in the slightest. He didn't care about politics. He did not come to solve all those problems. He had been explaining for three years the difference between his kingdom and their kingdom. He'd been trying to tell them all this time, I don't care about the throne of Solomon. I care about the throne of God. The kingdom of heaven is here now. And the phrase the kingdom of heaven is like occurs almost 20 times. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And every time he says that, it's completely the opposite of what most Jewish worshipers would expect him to say. Yet somehow they still just could not get it. Here's what he did instead. He goes right to the biggest obstacle of the kingdom of heaven. Not Rome. Not Herod but the temple and what the temple had become. He makes it clear that his intention and that his attention will focus on the people of God and not government. He will focus on his people and not Rome. And then he cleanses the temple of its wickedness and its hypocrisy. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The disciples got it, but not till later. Look at this passage. This describes this whole sick, twisted Palm Sunday scene. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. On Friday or Sunday, they loved him, and on Friday, they hated him. In just a few days, their worship turned to jeers and spitting and rock throwing and name calling and then choosing a thief and a robber over him for mercy so they could see him hanging on a cross, getting him dead just in time so they could celebrate Passover. I'm not saying that to judge them. Because there is an application here for us. The temple had become so obsessed. Guys, listen to me carefully. Because there's an application for you here. The temple had become so obsessed with politics of the day and a hope for a Judist utopia that they had lost sight of their real purpose of the temple, which is God dwelling among his people. You know what I think? I think Christians get more concerned about creating a Christian political utopia for ourselves. We're more concerned about building a God-fearing kingdom of America rather than a kingdom of heaven. Where would you expect Jesus to go to clean things up if he came back today? I've compiled a list of things that I've tried to make sure would offend at least one of you. <laughs> you environmentalists, you would want him to go straight to the criminals at Big Oil and destroy them. You libertarians, you'd want him to go to the IRS building and blow that thing up. You Democrats, you'd want him to go to Dick Cheney's house and declare him a war criminal. You would. You Republicans, you'd want him to go to the White House and declare Obama a socialist. You would. You civil rights activists, you'd want him to go to Ferguson, Missouri and wipe out all the racists. You social conservatives, you'd want him to go to the Supreme Court and destroy them for Roe v. Wade. Where do you think the first place Jesus should go would be? What do you think he should clean up first? What's your passion? See, we spend more energy trying to cleanse our nation as opposed to cleansing our own temple. It's amazing that we think Jesus is more concerned with the state of the United States of America than his own kingdom. Sermons on how our nation is sinful or corrupt are in fact a total waste of the church's time. Of course it's sinful. Of course it's corrupt. It's always been that way, not just America. As a matter of fact, Solomon says this, don't say, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Oh, the 60s. No, that was bad, sorry. Oh, the 50s. Oh, that was great. Right? We could just get back to the days of chubby checker, that's when music was music. Nobody was sleeping around. There wasn't a big drug problem. Yes, there was. Yes, they were. 
You might not have had Twitter, but you had weed. The point I'm making is this. We get so obsessed as Christians with the state of the nation. I got news for you. Rome was far worse than America. Slavery, immorality, corruption, murder, unbelievable debauchery. Jesus didn't care. He says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God. Jesus did not come to destroy Rome. He came to destroy the temple. Whoa. America and society has always been corrupt. You think that's new? And that somehow who controls Congress or who controls D.C.? Or who sits in the White House is God's greatest concern? You think he cares more about Congress and the White House than his own house? Guys, let me tell you something. Here's the perspective. Palm Sunday was so twisted because they thought Jesus' main concern was the government. Let me tell you, we are kingdom of heaven members first. We are Americans second. Are you waiting for him to come and overturn some tables in Washington without considering the tables that need to be overturned in your own heart, in your own house, in your own church? Our Lord is not concerned with the people's relationship with Rome or Washington. He's concerned with the people's relationship to him. That's his focus. And just like the temple, he is preparing his people for judgment day. Do you remember we talked about that for those of you that were here last week? He is preparing his people for judgment day, cleansing them, sanctifying them, glorifying them. And I feel as though, and as I was preaching this, at first I got really excited about it. Boy, I'm going to give it to these people on Sunday morning. I'm just going to give it to them. Yeah. And I started thinking about it. Man, he's really giving it to me here. <laughs> Man, I got so many tables. There are times where I need some serious temple Ajax. Because you understand who the temple is now? Who's the temple? We've talked about it, and who is it? That building's not the temple. This building's not the temple. We are the temple. And where's the first place Jesus is going to go when he comes back? Washington? Would you want to go to Washington? Would you want to dive into a cesspool if you were Jesus? He doesn't care. If he didn't care about Rome, he certainly doesn't care about Washington. He cares about you. He cares about us. So I have some questions for you. And we're going to end today a little bit differently. We're not going to leave you the warm, fuzzy feeling. I'm not going to see you on Good Friday. So this is your Good Friday. You're welcome. Does your temple need cleansing? 
There was a time in my life where I was the most ardent political junkie you would ever meet. <clears throat> but then I got some good theology. I'm not saying that we should be apathetic. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a place in our country. But guys, the kingdom of heaven is advancing, whether Washington likes it or not. It doesn't matter what laws they pass. It doesn't matter who's elected. And by the way, neither side is on God's side. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, God has one side, and that is his church. So the question I have for you is, does your temple need cleansing? Or are you looking at all the other temples? Man, they need some Ajax over there. They need some tables turned over here. Boy, that church, boy, they need some cleansing over there. Boy, that national denomination, they need some cleansing up there. Where is your targeted passion for cleansing? Where is the greatest desire for you to see cleansing? Outside of your walls? Or in your own heart? Are you willing to let Jesus overturn your tables? Are you willing to deal with the bloody reality which is that you have a temple that needs Ajax? Is it possible that your passions as a Christian are as sick and twisted as they were on Palm Sunday? Is it possible that your expectations of what Jesus will do for America is totally unbiblical? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to rescue his sheep. He did not come to make sure America is a God-fearing nation again. What he did was say, I don't care about Rome. You may think I care about Rome. All I care about is you, my people what you're doing. That's my focus. So I have a challenge for you today. I want you to declare to Heavenly Dad, right now, in your seat, an invitation. As a matter of fact, not just an invitation, an expectation to enter in to the temple of your heart right now, just like he did on right after Palm Sunday, God, enter the temple of my heart and cleanse it. Some of you have never had a personal relationship with Heavenly Dad. Maybe today, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm ready to cleanse you. But you've never said, Christ, I invite you in. <coughs> Overturn my temples or my, my tables in my temple. Overturn them. Drive out the wickedness. Throw out the things that keep me, us, you, 
the garden, church of the palms. Clean out all the stuff that keeps us from shouting Hosanna and really understand what it means. So Megan's going to come up in just a minute, but before she does, <laughs> come on up, Megan. <laughs> we'll do this together. That was planned, by the way, because I knew it would be a good joke. What we want to do is just take a few minutes for you guys to be uncomfortable. We want to take a few minutes for you and us, not just you, but us, to squirm a little bit. Some of you need to squirm because you don't know Jesus. Some of you need to squirm because you know him, but your passion for him is twisted. And some of you need to squirm simply because you need cleansing. And I could go into a 10-minute list of all the possible sins that are in your lives. And it'd be very easy for me to do because I just go tick off my own. And I know you guys are sinning in all the same ways. But you probably worse. <laughs> just kidding. But I want you to squirm a little bit. I want you to sit in silence and just think about your tables. Think about your temple. Think about Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't care about what you cleanse out there. I care only about what you're going to cleanse in here. Gospel of Mark tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees' response to Jesus overturning the tables was they were angry, because they were afraid, and they looked for ways to kill him. I was thinking last night when Joe and I were talking through today, um, that fear and that anger is normal. So often what's on our tables is what we want to cling to, whether it's our addiction, whether on how we think church should be, how we think morality should be, how we think the government should be run. And what's on our table is ours, and it makes us angry to think, why would we have to let go of that? So Pastor Joe left us with a big challenge today, and my hope and prayer for you is that you do feel uncomfortable. I do. 
but that your discomfort doesn't turn into anger. So you would be one of those people a few short days later that would say, crucify him. So I invite you to pray with me this morning that God works in your heart to reveal to you what it is that he needs to overturn. You might already know. You might not know. But we all have something. And for some of us, especially if it's something that we've been clinging to for a long time, we're going to have a hard time letting it go, right? Like those stages, they say I think anger is one of the first ones. Don't be mad at Jesus. Know that Jesus came for you. And his grace is sufficient because his power is made perfect in your weakness. So, Father, we come before you with so much more than a song. We ask that you press into us. We've asked for that a couple of times this morning, Lord, but what that means is we want you to put your spirit into us to help us examine what it is that we need to overturn in our lives, in our hearts, in our hearts, God, not anybody else's. And that you give us the strength and the courage to say that it's okay that I acknowledge this, that I confront this because you've made a way for me to be with you. closer towards Easter. Help us know it's okay to feel sad this week. Because if it wasn't for how broken the world has always been, Good Friday wouldn't have had to happen. And help us know that it's okay to be sad. Help us to move forward in your grace, in your love, in your light, in your truth, in your arms <laughs> that were so wide open, they were wide open for us. So Lord, when we come back to this place next week, maybe we'll come in with a little less on our tables and arms that are open right back to you. Father, we pray these things in the name of your Son, who bore our sins and bore our burdens. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. The name of Jesus. Church, please stand with me. Remember, wherever you go this week, there's nowhere you will go that the grace of God has not prepared a way for you. And we invite you to go with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And know that the Holy Spirit has prepared a way for you. We'll see you next week.